1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 27. Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not, bearing, or though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way not as without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the passage of text before us today. I thank you so much for the heart that you gave to Paul after he converted to be a true servant of the gospel and to do whatever it took to reach as many as possible for your sake, that he was willing to give up the things that he held dear to himself, that he was able to humble himself and not make his own personal preferences his main priority, but he could give those things up gladly if that would mean winning more people. And God, I pray this morning as we look at these verses that you would ignite in us that similar passion to ask the question, how can we best live for you among those that we are living, whether it's at work or among our family and our friends, how do we best live in order to not put a hindrance in the way of our testimony of your gospel? We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So remember the context here. Um, that Paul's writing all these things because they asked him, is it okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols? And he began by talking about those who were strong and those who were weak. And what he meant by that was the ones who were strong said, I know idols aren't real. I know I can eat this meat. It's, the idols aren't real, so they can't defile the meat, so it's not, nothing wrong with the meat. And those who were weak were the ones that didn't mean they were weak spiritually. It meant they had probably a background in the kind of idol worship that was associated with that meat, and they felt like to eat of it was to participate in that kind of worship. And so for them, it was a sin to eat that meat. It wasn't really a sin universally for everybody, but for them it was. And then Paul begins to say, Now, to those of you who are Christians, who know that you can eat this meat, should you eat it around those who are stumbled by it? And he begins to make the case, no. You shouldn't do things just because you can in your liberty if that's going to stumble somebody else. And he begins to give examples. He gave examples of himself. We looked at this last week about how he's like, look, can't I take a wife? Can't I receive money from churches? Don't I have the right to do all these things that the other apostles do? 
but I haven't done these things, and it was because I didn't want to put a hindrance in the way of the gospel. And so he's showing himself as an example of somebody who denied himself certain things in order to not put a hindrance in front of anybody else from receiving the gospel. Also, I want to remind us this morning that Paul was a Roman citizen. He was also a Jew, but he was for some reason, in some way, whether because of where he was born, in those times you could receive Roman citizenship if you were born in a certain region or if your parents had a lot of money they could buy their way into it. We don't know exactly how Paul became a Roman citizen, but we know he grew up a Jew, and not only a Jew but a Pharisee, but he also had Roman citizenship. So culturally he was well-rounded and well-versed in culture, but he lived his whole life up till his conversion as a Jew and a very strict Jew. And in Philippians, he talks about how if anyone wants to boast in the flesh, I all the more, because I was born in the right tribe, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I did all these things, I was trained as a Pharisee, and I learned in this very prestigious, under this very prestigious teacher, well-known in that time, I was on my way to being one of the highest of the Pharisees so he could compete in that realm. So he lived under the law. He knew the law. As a Jew, he was a good Jew. But then Christ revealed himself to Paul and called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. So then as Paul goes to these Gentile places and reaches Gentiles, the question became, how do I act among the Gentiles? Should I be trying to enforce all of the Jewish tradition and the Jewish ceremonial and civil laws on them that don't apply anymore? And if I go to a place where I found a church, but there are, like a, there's a mix between Jews and Gentiles, how should they intermingle? Should the Gentiles become more Jewish? Should the Jews become more gentle? So all these questions, it was a very hot topic in the early church. How do we deal with the law of the Old Testament as believers? And so Paul was in the midst of that. And so the way he concluded that was, hey, that Old Testament stuff, Christ fulfilled all of it. So you don't need to do any of it. It's not going to determine your salvation one way or the other. But if you're a Jew, there's benefit in still doing those things as long as you see how they point to Christ and you can preach the gospel of Christ through those things, that's good. But if you're a Gentile, there's no need to anymore. So that got back, of course, to Jewish areas, as if Paul was saying, Paul's preaching against the law. He's preaching against Judaism. That became a problem for him. And so this, is, this whole chapter is very relevant to all of that, and it explains the approach that he took and why he took that approach. So he's going to talk about the life he lived in these different contexts. And it was all in order to win more and to not cause a hindrance to anybody. And so it really sheds light on Paul's heart for ministry and his sacrificial love for others. And so let's just look at these verses. Starting in verse 19, Paul says, Though I am free from all men, this is what he's been saying since the beginning as he answered the question, I'm free to eat meat, I'm free to marry, I'm free to receive money from my, I'm free to do these things. Though I am free, I've made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. So while among the Jews, Paul practiced Judaism. And obviously, like I've explained, he definitely, I mean, if you read Romans, you can see and if you read Hebrews, if Paul wrote Hebrews, you can definitely see whoever wrote Hebrews understood how Christ fulfilled the entire Old Testament. 
So as he was now practicing Judaism, it was with that understanding. And I once got to participate in a, a, a Jewish, Christian, Messianic Jewish Passover meal. And it was great to see all the symbolism of Christ in that. And so Paul, among the Jews, would act as a Jew and would do Jewish things. And he'd still follow Judaism, but with the Christian understanding. And we see in, in Acts 21, for example, it's been a while since we were there, but back in Acts 21, Paul had just spent a great deal of time among the Gentiles on these missionary journeys, but he came back to Jerusalem and he met with James and the elders, and they said to him, hey, Paul, it's great what God's doing in those Gentile nations, but there's a problem with you being here. Just so you know, while you've been gone, rumors have spread, and all the Jews, and even a lot of the church, thinks that you, you don't like Judaism anymore. You're, t- you're talking against the law and against Judaism. And, and we know you don't think that way. We know why you've handled yourself the way you have among Gentiles. We get it. But now that you're here again, maybe you should do something to show them that you're not against the God of the Old Testament. That is the same. And so they came up with this plan for Paul. We have four guys that are under a vow. Why don't you go with them and purify yourself? And why don't you pay for them to get their heads shaved for their vow? And Paul does it. Why did he do it, though? He wasn't acting this way among the Gentiles. He wasn't going up to the temple among the Gentiles and purifying himself and having a vow and all that. He hadn't lived strictly according to the laws of Judaism while among the Gentiles. But now, back among the Jews, he's acting like a Jew. Was he being a hypocrite? Two-faced? No, it points back to what Paul is saying here. He grew up a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He understood the law and how Christ fulfilled it. But he also understood Romans 4, which we saw a few months ago. Back in Romans 4, how Paul explained how salvation's always been by faith. Even in the Old Testament, when many thought, I have to fulfill all these laws, he points back to how Abraham was called righteous by faith before he did anything, before he was even circumcised. God called him righteous because of his faith. And so Paul says, it was always by faith. And yet among the Jews, he was a Jew. So there is benefit for the Jews to hold on to these traditions if they can see how they point to Christ. And so that's how Paul lived among them. Yet, So um, there was beauty in being able to know those traditions and show how they pointed to Christ, but Paul never told a Gentile to convert to Judaism. It was entirely unnecessary for the gospel for a Gentile to become a Jew in all those strict senses. And yet Paul, being a Jew could certainly still function within the parameters of Judaism. And among the Jews, this was preferred. It would have been much more difficult for Paul, being a Jew, ethnically being a Jew, to come back to Jerusalem and act like a Gentile and expect to reach Jews with the gospel. It would have been much more complicated. There's many more bridges to cross to explain that, right? And in fact, Paul did this with Timothy, too. The story of Timothy um, in Acts 15, he found this guy named Timothy. He was strong in the Lord. Paul wanted to bring him along on the missionary journey. But there were many Jews that Paul was ministering to at the time. And the problem with Timothy was his mother was Jewish, his father was a Gentile. And so Timothy hadn't been circumcised. But among the Jews, it would be a problem to know that you're, you're preaching that Christ is the Messiah of the Jews, and your mother's a Jew, And you're not circumcised. So before he brought Timothy with him, he circumcised Timothy. And it wasn't because he needed Timothy to be a complete Jew in every sense, but it would have been a stumbling block to bring Timothy along with a Jewish mother 
and him not being circumcised. And so it's because there were many, and, and, the, and Acts 15 tells you the reason, because there were many Jews there, and so it would have been a stumbling block. And again, like Paul says, to the Jew I became a Jew. He didn't want to have anything hinder the gospel. All right, so um, verse 21, Paul says, To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so I might win those who are out the law. So I've already spoken a bit about how Paul was among the Gentiles. And Paul clarifies that this doesn't mean that he went around sinning or disobeying the law of God. He wasn't like actually acting like a sinner or anything. He says, though not being without the law of God, he just means he wasn't being Jewish. You know, there are these different, the three different categories of the Old Testament law. There's the, there's the moral law and the civil law and the ceremonial law and in the New Testament, the New Covenant, the moral law still applies. The Ten Commandments, that stuff still applies. But as far as like the civil law and the ceremonial laws of, of what kind of sacrifices to bring to the temple when and what kind of robes to wear and all this, all that goes along with the ceremonial things or like all that it didn't need to be practiced anymore. And he wasn't that way among the Gentiles. It reminds me of a story of a man named Bruce Olson. I'm not sure if you've heard this story. And the book's called Bruchko. Have any of you read the book called Bruchko? Bruchko? His name is Bruce Olson. He was nicknamed Bruchko by the Native Americans he reached. So he was a 19-year-old that left home to share the gospel with a murderous tribe in South America known as the Motolone Indians, or Native Americans. And he faced disease and loneliness and torture, and they tried to kill him. He was their prisoner. Um, it's a great story of how he eventually reaches one person, and then that one person reaches the whole tribe. But he had this conviction. As, as he went on his way down to that tribe, he would go to different villages first, and he would meet missionaries who were there. They tried to figure out, like, where are the modal? How do I get there? But as he went, he kept finding a scenario where he was looking at Native Americans that were now wearing button-down T-shirts, speaking English, and having square-shaped church buildings, which to Native Americans... The home is circular, and that means something important to them, and they dressed totally differently. And he had this conviction that Native Americans don't need to become American to be believers. Christ can become Native American for them. The gospel can be Native American. So he, he kind of wrestled with, how do, I, how do I make this tangible to them where they don't need to give up all their heritage and their culture just because of the gospel. The gospel is bigger than that. It's, it's cross-cultural. And so, so he did that. He found a way to do that. It was pretty neat. How? Um, I'll give you one story. There was apparently this competition the tribe would do every year about who could sing the longest or whatever, and they'd all sing for like days. And this guy Bobby, he called him Bobby, who he reached, ended up singing longer than anybody else for like days, and he was just singing about Jesus and singing about the gospel in his own language with his own words and his own terminology. And so just God did amazing things, but he didn't need to make them all now wear button-down t-shirts and meet in a square building and start talking English. He translated the Bible into their language. Um, and so Paul said, among the Gentiles, that's what I did. I made the gospel their gospel. I didn't make them become Jews. God became a Gentile for them. And so if you think about the way Jesus came, you know, he came to the Jews first and then Gentiles. So when he came to the Jews, he also came as a Jew, right? He could have come as a Roman citizen to the Jews, he could have come as a Gentile, but he chose to come as a Jew to Jews. And that, I think, was a model for us that when you go 
to share the gospel with somebody, whether it's you're a missionary or whether it's just knowing where you work and whatever, you don't need to put extra constraints on it. The gospel is cross-cultural. It can reach anybody. So that's the heart that Paul had among the Gentiles. He preached a Gentile gospel to them. That didn't mean he saw no more value in the law. And he mentioned that in Romans. The law is extremely valuable if you're a Jew. <laughs> and for the Gentiles, it's, it's valuable for us to learn it and read through it and to understand how it points to Christ. Like, you know, when Jesus met those two guys on the road to Emmaus and it says he then explained to them through the entire Old Testament how all of those things pointed to him. Like, it all points to Christ. And so it's, it's valuable for us too. Okay, so verse 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so I might by all means save some. Remember when Paul uses the word weak, like I said in the introduction, he's not using it in a derogatory way. He's referring back to those in this church that were stumbled by the idea of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And so he's saying, to them I became like them, so I wouldn't eat meat among them. Anything that would stumble somebody, anybody that would be stumbled by a behavior that I'm allowed to do, I'm at liberty to do, if it would stumble them, I didn't do it. Like how I didn't receive money among you at Corinth or in Ephesus. I did receive money from Philippi because they had no problem with it and I felt like it was okay, but among you, I didn't. I felt like it would be a stumbling block and so I didn't do it. And with those Gentiles, it would have been a stumbling block to make them convert to Judaism. So I didn't do it. Among the Jews, I was more of a Jew. So it wouldn't stumble them. It's like whatever I would do among those I was serving, I just wanted to remove any hindrance from the gospel. Um, as far as becoming weak for the weak, I've got a story about this. So the way I grew up um, in my high school times, I was very much into metal and hardcore and punk rock and a lot in my youth group were as well and there were a lot of bands that came out of my church that became really big and so like every weekend there were these really big concerts from guys that were going to my church and back then it was very evangelistic we'd often have shows in churches a pastor would be invited to come he would preach between the bands or be like a sort of altar call thing and you could meet the band afterwards and they'd like pray with you like some of the bands now i could name them you'd know their name probably but imagine them back in the day having circles of prayer after their shows it's unimaginable because the media and the hollywood really kind of ruins people but back in those times um god was doing a work and so our entire Culture was like, it wasn't weird to have a leather jacket with spikes or having a mohawk wasn't strange or being covered in tattoos. Like it was just, it was our normal culture. And so we had a youth leader that also had a mohawk. He was the bassist in one of these bands. But we went to a youth camp that was multiple different churches from different areas. And, you know, we show up with our leather patches because it's just the way we always dress. It was normal. It wasn't weird for us. But this youth leader had this big old mohawk. And a pastor approached him and took him aside. And basically, I didn't hear all that he said, but he basically sort of talked about how, look, we get that this is normal for your church, but there are others here that may have come out of the secular aspect of this punk rock scene and the rebellious nature of it and the history of what it meant to be punk rock. And they've given that up for Jesus. And to see you as a youth leader with your, with your mohawk, it might be a stumbling block for them. It might cause them to think, well, it's okay to be a Christian and be a rebel and, and hate government and, and hate the man and all, you know, all the typical kind of unchristian punk rock mentality. And so the youth leader took that and immediately left and buzzed his head right there and got rid of his mohawk. Wow. And there were some kids that were like, 
that guy can't tell us what to do when we're trying to like help him. Like, hey, that was really not good at all. Like, you should have kept your mohawk. But he's like, no, you know, he was right. He's like, I, I'm, I'm humbled by it. He was right. I shouldn't have had a mohawk here. I see that it could be a problem. And he was, and so I stood back and I kind of saw that and I, I recognized, wow, being all things to all people, Amen. it's sacrificial, you know, and, and it means something. Um, and so I never forgot that, you know, the story, and it, and it meant a lot to me. And so um, that's kind of the heart that Paul had for ministry too, is like, what is it about my life that could be causing somebody that I'm reaching with the gospel to stumble by. You know, we can't not stumble everybody, right? It'll stumble somebody if we're in poverty. It'll stumble somebody else if we have riches. And so you can't, you can't not stumble everybody. But for those that you're reaching, for those that are in your sphere of influence, those that you're, you're ministering to, it, what is it in my life that could be being a hindrance to the gospel for them? So someone like, might look at Paul who's acting like a Gentile among Gentiles, then he comes to Jerusalem and now he's being Jewish, they might look at that and think, is he just bending under pressure? Those Jews are forcing him to act a certain way. That's totally wrong, Paul. You shouldn't have to be different. You can be yourself. Be who you want to be, Paul. Paul would say, no. That's not the goal of life. And I think this is a major point. Especially in the South and in America and in the Western culture, like in general, there's a huge God called individuality that we worship. We really... It's so valuable to us that we have our own individual life, right? So, and there's also like obviously a political side to this and there's the whole like don't tread on me stuff and like government don't take my freedom. I get all that, but the problem is that often gets converted into our private life where we're saying, you can't tell me how to live. You can't judge me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No one can speak into my life. It's between me and God and nothing to do with you. And Paul would say that's not the heart of Christ to act that way. The goal of life isn't to say, I am the captain of my own ship. I lead my own destiny. I'll do whatever I want to do, and you can't do anything about it. That's not what Paul's heart was or Christ's heart. You know, I listen to this rapper sometimes called NF. He is supposedly a Christian, but his songs aren't all Christian. Um, but some good songs. But often he's going through things like, those that don't like me, you can just go away. And like, I understand... His sense of like, I'm going to be a believer while being a rapper and not get caught up in that stuff. And if you're mocking me because I'm a believer, then just don't listen to my music. Like, I, I understand that. But there's an aspect of that too that's like, you shouldn't just be living for yourself. You shouldn't just be, this is me. It's who I am, who I'm always going to be. If you don't like it, you're free to leave. That's, that's not, that isn't the heart of God towards those he loves. And for us, we shouldn't have that attitude towards we're ministering to, to those that we're ministering to. It shouldn't just be, hey, this is who I am. If you don't like it, leave. We should be much more caring and, oh my goodness, I had no idea that this was stumbling you. I really apologize. What can I do differently? I don't want to cause a, a problem for you and your faith. I don't want to be a stumbling block for you. How can I help you? That should be more of the heart towards towards this situation. So um, verse 19, what I want to do now is um, go back through some of the verses, 19, 20, 21, 22, just to emphasize Paul's motive in all this. So in my notes, I've bolded certain things. So in verse 19, he says, so that I may win more. In verse 20, he says, so that I might win Jews and that I might win those who are under the law. And then verse 21, so that I might win those who are without law. And then verse 22, so that I may by all means save some. So Paul's main perspective was the eternal. 
He would do whatever it took to reach more people with the gospel. He didn't want anything to be a distraction. And so he did things the way he did them to not be a distraction. And so these chapters really come to life when we begin to ask ourselves, am I mostly living for myself or am I living for the gospel's sake? Am I only concerned with what makes me happy, makes me feel satisfied, makes me feel more secure or more fulfilled? Am I so committed to my own way of doing things that I would never consider changing anything about my life that offended somebody else? Or am I more focused on how I should live so that others can receive the gospel without distraction from me? Am I living in such a way that if I were to share the gospel with someone, they would look at my life and not be offended, would not have a reason to question whether I really believe what I'm saying? You know, I've said this often here, but when I study scriptures, it seems to me that the only time Jesus ever got angry was when people were hindering others from coming to him. Whether it was the whip outside of the temple with the money changers making worshiping God about money, which was a hindrance, or it was the disciples that were hindering the children from coming to him, or whether it was the Pharisees that were binding heavy burdens on the backs of those who couldn't bear it when they themselves couldn't even bear it. That's when he got angry, whenever anybody put a hindrance on coming to him. And I think we have to beware too because if we're the kind of Christians that are so committed to our own liberty that we're offending people and it doesn't we don't even care it's like that's their problem I'm, I'm i'm free in christ to do this then we're actually putting a hindrance in the way of people receiving the gospel and so we need to hear that and and heed that and listen to that and it has all sorts of implications you know i was talking to Lindsay about this at my job you know i, I really am feeling more and more convicted about this i, I try to share at my work as much as I can. And you know, my company's not paying me to share the gospel, so I can't rob of them time to really, but like over lunch breaks or like as we're working, if I get opportunity to share here and there, I'm really trying hard to, to merge my life to make it one because sometimes it feels like I have this Christian side where it's church on Sunday and devotions with my kids in the morning, but then I go to work and I'm just working. I'm trying to like, how do I be the same person in both situations? And so I've been, the last year or so, trying even harder to, to pray through, like, what does it mean to be a real believer in the workplace? And for me, one of the important things is, if I'm professing to be a believer, nobody better look at my work and think I'm, I'm doing a second-rate job. No one should look at my work and think, that guy's totally lazy, he's totally passing the buck, he's just trying to give everyone else the work, and he wants to sit back and just, like, watch YouTube videos at work or play chess on his, you know, whatever. Like, you need to commit to being a good worker, because when you share the gospel with somebody, they, and they're, they're, they're going to then look at your life and analyze it. And if they see in your life that you're not living up to the moral standard you say you are, now they've got a hindrance to the gospel. They're like, well, he claims to be a believer, but that guy just like slacks off all day. And so I'm trying hard to be, like I kind of feel this pressure of like not just being a good, but I want to be the best worker. I want to be like better than them. I feel like I'm, I'm racing against them to be the better worker because they don't have Christ. I don't want them to look at me and think they're better than I am at work. I want to be the best because I want to point to Christ and say, look, I work hard because God told me to glorify him in my job and that's why I work as hard as I do. And so um, that matters. But, you know, work is just one example. It's a good example because many of us work, but um, 
It's not a good example for everyone, like because some people don't work. But it also has other implications like your friends, your relationships, your family. You can analyze your life and the people that know you, the people that you're sharing your life with, when they look at your life, are they seeing things that would cause them to question? Does she really believe the gospel? Because there's this part of her or him. You know, like you, you got to kind of think through those things. Like, does he really believe? Because I saw him do that last week and that wasn't exactly what Christians should do. So we got to think of these things. Verse 23, Paul said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so I, become, so I may become a fellow partaker of it. You know, he uses the term win a lot in this chapter. It makes you think he's thinking of it like a game. You know, like this is a game for him. But it's not. He's using terminology that would have been common among the Roman Olympic, Olympic Games, for example. So he uses things like running and boxing and it's clear that because of his Roman citizenship and that whole culture of the times, like Elliot was saying, that that's what he had in mind was, you know, he was thinking in terms of like a metaphor. Use Olympic Games as a metaphor. And he begins to talk about things like everyone who runs wants to win, right? You're, no one's running for second place. No one's training hard for second place. No one's exercising and disciplining their bodies or boxing just because they want to get like third place. Everybody wants to get first place. So Paul's using it as an example to say we should all be treating the gospel that way. Because in Paul's view and in the Bible's view, we're all on the mission of spreading the gospel. The Great Commission was for all of us. We're all to go into the world, whatever that means for us, share the gospel, make disciples. We're all on that mission. And so Paul wants to put a happy image in our mind as we think of sharing the gospel and say, look, we're all on this mission together. Imagine it's a race. No one wants to get second place, right? So you got to run hard. You want to sacrifice because it's going to mean more are going to come to the gospel. Win as many as you can. He's like, think of it like a sport, how you discipline your body. And no one does that just to get second place, right? So you, you do as much discipline as you can, as much training, as much practice so that you can win. And he's like, do that for the gospel. Train to win. Run to win. Live to win. The more we can save from hell, the better. So run the, the race to win. Don't run to be the person who comes in last who says, it's not about winning, it's about the experience. <laughs> That's not the kind of Christian you want to be, right? Like when I did my 10K, I was like literally the second to last person of every age group that made it. I was like 215 back then. I hadn't trained at all. And I'm like jogging, but so slow. People are like walking faster than I'm jogging. But I was like, hey, but I did it. It's like Paul's like, don't be that kind of Christian though. Train, sacrifice, run to win. It's like, you know, I jogged with Lindsay yesterday. She's been, she just did a 10K. She's been training. I have not been training. So she's like ahead of me going, come on, if we can just make it to this yellow house, you know, then we can pause. We can do it. I know she means I can do it because she's fine. You know? <laughs> she's like, come on, we can do this. And I'm like super sore today. She's like, yeah, I'm not sore at all. And I'm like, it's like dying standing here. I'm all sore. But she trained. And so she got like a way better time than me on the 10K. Like she just destroyed my time because she trained for it. And so it's like train with the gospel. Live your life. And again, back to the context of eating meat, sacrifice to idols. And we can apply that to anything in our life, right? Anything that we're allowed to do in our liberty but might be stumbling somebody else. Should we give that up? Are there people in our life that are stumbled by that? And if so... Do you want to be the runner who wins first place and you sacrifice for it and you train for it? Or do you want to be the one in the back who's like, I'm just glad to be here? 
We get to choose. And Paul says at the end, after I've preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. We don't want to be disqualified by our lives. We don't want to share the gospel and say, okay, but didn't you do that last week? Yeah. And then you've got to say, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do. You don't want to be in that place. Right? With your kids, if you have kids, you don't want to be in that place where they look at your life and they go, you say these things, but you live differently. Or if you work, or if you don't work, the people in your life just think through, how do we live to win as many as possible? The title, if I didn't say it, was Run to Win. That was the title. All right. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the example of Paul. I thank you that we have the great opportunity of having the truth. We have the solution. We have the, the message that the world needs. And I pray that we'd be finding new, creative, and innovative ways to share that with those that are in our life. And I pray that we would also be living the kind of lives that don't, um, don't kill that message when we say it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.